Well, good morning, Westridge. So, as Lisa said, we're launching a new four-part series this morning called It's Complicated, where we're going to be taking a look at four relationships that most of us have in life. We have at least two or three of them. And what makes them complicated? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges in that? This morning, we're going to talk about marriage. And the one thing that really complicates marriage is how we handle conflict in that relationship. My parents were married for 55 years, which is pretty incredible. Uh, They met by chance on a Friday night in a town outside of Cincinnati when my dad happened to wheel his brand new Olds 98 into the only open spot at the Frisch's Big Boy in the drive-in portion of the restaurant. If you're under 30, most of that sentence made no sense to you. Ask somebody with a little gray hair. So he pulled in, and it just so happened that these two good-looking girls were in the car next to them. One of them was my mom, and they met, they started to date, and five months after that encounter, those crazy 18-year-olds got married. Not a plan I'd recommend to any of you thinking about marriage, but it worked out. Now, there were a lot of differences between the two of them that they brought into this marriage. My dad was born and raised in the hills in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. He was raised in extreme poverty. Beyond that, his general demeanor was about as raw and uncouth as any man I've ever known. My mom, on the other hand, was raised in a city. She was a 17-year-old beauty queen when he met her. Every guy's dream, right? And at 17, she also, in addition to going through her senior year of high school, was managing a medical practice office with multiple doctors in it. They were very different and came from different places. Now, like most couples, their differences seem to fuel some of the conflict in their relationship. The first, biggest, the first big conflict happened just two weeks after they got married. Over the years, my parents kind of lost or refused to tell us the details of what that conflict was about, but they never lost sight of the fact that that relational conflict nearly destroyed their relationship before it got started. So what happened was uh, that when my mom got upset with my dad, she retreated to the spare bedroom in their home that had become her changing room. Of course, she was a beauty queen, right? So she had a changing room. She retreated to that room and slammed the door behind her. But before she slammed the door, she said, I'm done with you. I'm leaving. My dad did what any man would do. He froze. And he thought, what in the world am I going to say to that? She's leaving. And after about 30 minutes of thinking of what to say, He walked over to the bedroom door and gently knocked on the door, eased the door open just a crack. And what he saw in the room was my mom sitting on the floor, bawling her eyes out, surrounded by a hundred pairs of shoes. I kid you not, I am not exaggerating. A hundred pairs of shoes scattered on the floor in that bedroom. And as he looked in the door, he said to her, I I thought you were leaving. Yeah, not his best move. (laughs) And she looked at him and through her tears said, I am as soon as I can find some shoes to wear. (laughs) 
and that broke the tension. They started laughing, and they worked it out from there. I'm not sure any of us believed on our wedding day that we would encounter some kind of a conflict or a tension between us as a couple that could actually threaten the existence of our marriage. Maybe that's why we're often left so dazed and confused when our differences and our struggles keep bumping into each other, and it just gets painful. I believe marriage joins two very unique people with different thought processes, different priorities, different habits in their life. And I'm not sure any of us really knew on our wedding day just how different we really were. Nor did we realize the challenges that we would face over the years as we tried to build our best us. So knowing that I'm going to talk on conflict in marriage this morning has kept me on my best behavior at home for the last week. And I'm proud to tell you there are no new examples of my stupidity to share with you this morning. Now, that doesn't mean they don't exist. It just means I am unaware of them as of this very moment. Uh, and if you want current examples of my stupidity in marriage, Connie will be in the lobby after the service. You can talk to my wife there and see. She's waving her hand. She has a list. Um, so if you haven't figured it out by now, conflict is going to happen in it's unavoidable. It's going to happen in almost every relationship that you value in your life, marriage among those. Connie and I have been in conflict over the years. We'll go there again. I promise you it's not my intention, but it will find us. We've had minor tiffs that are easily settled. And we've also had those deeply disturbing conversations that at the end of which make you wonder if your us is going to make it. Thankfully, we have made it. We've had 30 happy years of marriage. Which is not bad considering we've been married 41. <laughs> One author said, and this is not an encouraging quote, but it's true, conflict is latent in every human relationship. It simply awaits a trigger to get it going. It's just true. It doesn't matter that we don't like it, it's true. And why? Why does it have to be that way? James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, asked the same question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Tension points exist in every marriage, and usually the tension comes, as James said, when our desires and our needs are not being met, when our preferences are either or our expectations are being ignored. Conflict happens often enough, it's predictable enough, that researchers and social scientists have figured out these are the top five things that can trigger marital conflict. Number one, not surprising, money. Money triggers conflict. How do we spend money? How do we save money? How do we invest money? What happens if money is tight? What goes and what stays in the budget? Number two, is sex. Some of you are uncomfortable that I even said that word in church. For many of us, talking about sex is about as comfortable as sleeping in your car. We'd rather, rather than talk about the problems, we choose to let them fester and build until the frustration 
becomes a conflict. Number three on the list is work. When work demands begin to infringe on family time and family values, that can trigger a conflict. Fourth on the list is raising kids. Do I even need to explain this one? Kids trigger, raising kids triggers all kinds of conflict in marriages, whether we're dealing with toddlers or teens or our adult children. That can trigger conflict. Raising kids also, here's the bonus in this, raising kids amplifies the tension that we sometimes feel in the other three of money and sex and work. And then there are those simple, sometimes overwhelming household chores that can trigger conflict over how they're done or when they're done or who actually does them. Any of that sound familiar? Wow, that was a rumble in the room. Anybody have a conflict over one of these in the last month in your marriage? Oh, come on. None of you are being honest. I should say who hasn't had. Your spouse will correct you on that one. How many of you have had a conflict in the last week? Or maybe you had your last conflict on one of these on the way to church this morning. I mean, it happens, right? That's why Connie and I drive separately to church. Just a bonus tip in there. Why do we have conflicts? James goes on to describe why they happen. You can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Please understand, what we're talking here about conflict in marriage isn't just a simple disagreement. It's something deeper. Conflict is more than just a difference of opinion. And when we get to the point where a a conflict happens, it's because there's been a series of events that have piled up that we've handled poorly, one or both of us. And at that point, our stubbornness and our pride and our anger, our hurt, our bitterness have all gotten involved in it. And it becomes really difficult to communicate about the core issue that we really need to talk about. And what's funny is we've been through these conflicts, these five things enough that we've all developed our own preferred way of handling conflict. Now, just want to say at this point, as I start to talk about the preferred ways to handle conflict, it's going to be easier to identify your spouse's fault in this than it is your own. And I don't recommend using your elbow to help emphasize the point that it's their problem. You've been warned. Some of us, when we get into a conflict, we just want to fight it out. Anybody like that in the room? Maybe you're the kind of person who digs in their heels. You know what's right. You know your needs and your concerns are valid. So by the time it comes to a full-blown conflict, you're no longer in the mood to cooperate with your spouse. You're determined to stand your ground and win. Maybe you're the polar opposite of the let's fight it out person. You have the same strong desire to get along, to make things work. You have strong opinions even. But you'll engage in the conflict and pretty quickly you cave in and you pretend to agree, just to end the discussion. You're willing to pursue peace at any cost. Touch any nerves yet? If not, well, maybe this next one will scoop all of us up. Most of us, when it comes to conflict, would rather just to avoid conflict completely. We can't find a way to express our wishes and concerns without fighting. We've tried to talk about it. We're not able to. And we're not about to give in, so instead, of act, so instead what we do is we act like nothing is wrong. 
and we punish the other person by withdrawing from them. And we're fooling ourselves to think if we just simply avoid the conflict, it will dissipate. Now, if any of these top three ways to deal with conflict, there's two more we'll talk about in a minute. If any of these top three are you, you need to know that they come with a warning label. With these approaches, it's guaranteed that one of you is going to lose and one is going to win. And even the one who wins ultimately loses too. These approaches to conflict can cause deeper wounds, deeper pain than what you thought you felt walking into the conflict. A healthier, wiser path would be to find common ground to resolve your conflict. And it's not easy when strong emotions surface in us in conflict. It requires us to negotiate on the big issues and agree to let go of the smaller ones. And sometimes in conflict, it's really hard to tell which is the big issue and which is the small one. The healthiest approach is collaboration. To work together to figure out a new idea, a new path, a way forward that both of you can agree to, and both of you like. Common ground and collaboration are the best approaches, but if we're honest, it can be challenging to learn to do that and to do it well when emotions and tensions are high. Now, I want to keep these approaches on the screen, and then we're going to add the triggers back up there. Start, start looking at that list, and when you see those triggers, the top five for all married couples, and then you see yourself in the ways that you want to handle conflict, it doesn't take long to realize why conflict can be so stinking hard, does it? Each one of us has issues that can be challenging that we need to talk about, and truthfully, conflict often involves more than one of these issues in a single conflict. On the other side, getting beyond the conflict, resolving it, can be like trying to tiptoe through a minefield. You work on it aware that one wrong word, one misstep can just blow the whole thing up. Confession, for the first 15 years of our marriage, I was a massive conflict avoider. I would never get into an all-out fight with Connie because I preferred to hide and not talk. It's how my family was growing up. It's what I learned. I would ignore her, I would punish her by withdrawing from her until the issue went away. But you guys know, it never really goes away when you do that. The same issue kept cropping up over and over again, and I'd hold on to things until I felt resentment, which is always a helpful addition to any conflict. So I could, in one conversation, go from avoiding to standing my ground to pretending the conflict really wasn't a big deal after all. It took me years of conversations with Connie. It took me years in therapy to figure this stuff out for myself, and I still have work to do. Making these changes can be awkward for both husband and wife. We had to learn a new way of how to communicate around conflict. We had to learn a healthy way to, dis to deal with disagreements before they actually came to a point of conflict. We had to learn how to talk about the tough stuff, the painful stuff. So how do we navigate this minefield? Fortunately, the Bible has this 
collection of wisdom and guidance for marriages. Unfortunately, it's not all grouped in one book in the Bible. I really do think that Paul should have written one more letter, and it should have been to the first church of marital conflict, right? And it should have just had all the wisdom on marriage in one book. It'd make it easier on all of us. So it's all through the Bible. I just want to single out one passage from the book of 1 Peter. It seems like good old foot-and-mouth Peter is a good one to talk to us about conflict. So it's written by Peter. It's in chapter 3. And we're going to look at some verses from 1 Peter 3. And hopefully it'll help us realize how we get to the other side of conflict. Peter says, whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. I can't think of two better phrases to be goals in our marriages. To want to embrace life and see your day fill up with good. So how do we get there? Two big ideas in this passage that Peter brings up. My two headings for his ideas. The first one is, Invest in your marriage every day in big ways and in small ways. And here's what that looks like, starting in verse 8 of that same chapter. Peter says, be agreeable. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be humble. And then he throws in this phrase that I don't like at all, and I I just, that goes for all of you, no exceptions. No retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm, instead bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, you'll also get a blessing. Now that's a lot. There are eight separate ways in there to invest in our marriages. And as I look at the list, I mean, I'll be honest, there are a couple of those that I do okay on. This is a dangerous statement to make with my wife sitting right over here. So I'm going to focus and talk to this side of the room. No, I've run this by her this week. I'm pretty good with compassion, mostly. I'm pretty good with sympathy. And I'm honestly, I'm one of those guys who sometimes in the middle of a work day, I'll just stop, I'll send my wife an emoji and just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I'm a pretty good guy, right? Well, it's not bad. I could do worse. I have done worse. But here's the thing. I can can do all of that well and one sarcastic comment. One sarcastic comment can just destroy it all. We need to make, I'm convinced we need to make multiple daily investments in our spouse's relational bank. By being agreeable, by being sympathetic, by being loving, compassionate. And if those four aren't things that you feel like you need to work on, then maybe that fifth one is it, being humble. I love Peter's idea here that it's our job to bless our spouse. It's, that's our job. Our job is not to correct them, to change them, to break them down and remake them. Our job is to speak helpful and kind words to our spouse and about our spouse when they're not around. Doing these eight things regularly, consistently, is a high-yield investment. They can only 
strengthen our marriages. And we need to work hard at these because sooner or later, (laughs) sooner or later, you're going to make some withdrawals from that relational account. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to forget to do something that we promised. Or life will throw us a wicked curveball and we will just come off the rails and behave badly in the moment. And in that moment, if you have a positive balance in that relational bank, it helps immensely. It doesn't excuse your bad behavior, but it allows you to walk into that mess knowing that you both deeply love each other. And the investments you've made can help you make it to the other side of the conflict together. So first, we make daily investments with those eight things in our marriage. Second, we do good. That's the summary I would make of these, this last couple of verses in Peter's commands. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day filled up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. It took me longer than it should have to realize in my, even in my everyday speech, I was hurtful to Connie. She says that early in our marriage, my communication was a lot like a three-year-old. I don't think that was a compliment. (laughs) You see, most of my sentences could be completed with the word idiot. It's not that I said that with my words. It's what I communicated with my behavior, with my actions and my tone of voice. Idiot. So, simple things like... Why didn't you get the toilet paper at the store? Thank you, a few of you playing along. I thought the kids were ready to go. What do you mean you forgot? I didn't say those words. She heard them, though. If you're a really brave person this morning, and you're riding home with your spouse, ask them. What's the one word that could finish most of your sentences to them? So many times we unintentionally say things that are hurtful and no relationship escapes damage when hurtful words start to fly. Working through conflict requires us to pay close attention to our words so we don't say anything evil or hurtful. Peter says we also have to snub evil and cultivate good. Now here's the image in my mind with this verse. Anytime you walk into a conflict with your spouse, you're carrying two buckets, one in each hand. In one bucket, you got water. In the other bucket, you got gasoline. The conflict you're walking into is a raging fire. You have a choice. Are you going to throw water on it? Or are you going to throw gas on it? And you have to make that choice multiple times in the conversation about that conflict. And sometimes, to be perfectly honest, it's a tough decision, water or gas. Because we can get tired of working to frame our words in a helpful way. We get tired of doing good to a spouse that always seems to upset us. And at times, we'd love nothing more than to vomit all our our emotions, explode on our spouse, throw gas on the fire, and walk away. 
Peter says we have to snub evil. We have to choose to cultivate good. We have to choose the water over the gas if we want to see our days fill up with good. And then just for good measure, he throws in this last idea, run after peace with all your worth. I, th- I honestly believe that any healthy marriage requires both people to invest energy into looking for a peaceful, loving life together. A place where we love our life and it's filled with good days. Isn't that what you've been dreaming of since the day you first met your spouse? Isn't that what most of us have been dreaming of since our wedding day? Isn't that what your heart still hungers for today? A life that is filled with love and good days. An old friend messaged me a while back. He said his first wife and he were constantly in conflict. They fought over almost everything. And it was like both of them were the dig your heels in and fight to the finish kind of people. He said, you know, I've learned there's not much in life that's worth that kind of an argument and a fight. He's in his second marriage now, and he says it's much better because they talk things out. He's more patient. He's more intentional. You don't have to wait for your next marriage to figure all this out. You can choose to invest now, and I encourage you to do that. You can choose to do good for your spouse, even when you're in conflict. You can do it because on the other side of the conflict, peace is waiting. Good days are waiting. A marriage you'll love is waiting. On the other side of conflict, your best us is waiting.